Okay, Joshua 5. Joshua 5. Um, it's a pretty short chapter, only, uh, what, 15 verses long. But I, I think if we, if we get in it, there's, uh, there's plenty here to, um, to both encourage and probably challenge as well. Uh, the, last part, the first part of chapter 6 should have been the last part of chapter 5. Um, but we'll just take it as it appears uh, in the Bible. Uh, let me just start in verse 1. Now, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until we had crossed over, their hearts melted and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Um, I, I want to start right there with the phrase, that is repeated in the book of Joshua that we will miss if, we, if we're not paying attention. Chap, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, when the Amorite kings and the Canaanite kings heard how the Lord dot, dot, dot. That's an important phrase for many reasons. Go to chapter 9, verse 1. Now, when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, dot, dot, dot. Go to chapter 10, verse 1. Now, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard, dot, dot, dot. Go to chapter 11, verse 1. When Jabin, king of Hazor, heard this, dot, dot, dot. The writer of Joshua makes a connection... Uh, between those chapters with when these Gentile pagan kings heard about God, about what God had done, dot, dot, dot. 5-1-9-1-10-1-11-1. When they heard, chapter 5, verse 1, their hearts melted. They no longer had courage to face, to, to, to oppose what God was doing to God's people. When they heard, when they heard, when they heard, when they heard, when they heard. Um, when they heard what God had done, they were struck with fear. Um, one of the things that struck me this week as I was studying this is that God was active, but they didn't know he was active. The pagan, the, the Gentile, all these enemies of Israel didn't know God was active until they what? Until so they heard it. They, 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 they weren't part of the crossing of the Red Sea. They weren't part of the crossing of the Jordan. They did, it wasn't their experience, but they heard about it. Right? It's not that God wasn't active. It's not that God, God, God was still powerful and God was still, He was still. But that didn't have an effect on them. God's being, God's power, God's authority didn't have an effect on them until they heard about what God had done. And when they heard what God had done, it caused a, a reaction in them. Here, here's what I thought. 
How much has God done in my life that nobody's heard about? Right? I got people in my life that need to have an effect, that need to be affected by God. They've not had the experience of God that I have. They've not seen God move like I have. How are they to know? They got to hear somehow, right? I wonder how much we have experienced of God and have remained tight-lipped about it to the very people who don't know God who need to hear about God. Right? You know how faith comes? Isn't that what the Bible tells us? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Like God is speaking and God is moving all the time in his people. And we become so conditioned for a number of different reasons. I don't want to be offensive. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to answer questions. I, I'm, I've never done that before. I just, they'll come to God. I just try. All those little excuses, if you want to talk about spiritual warfare, is the work of the enemy to keep our lips shut. Why? Because when people hear about God's power, it causes a reaction. Right? So right as they say from jump, I'm looking at 5-1, and then I realize 9-1, 10-1, 11-1. They heard what God had done, and there was a reaction. Don't get caught up in what God had done and don't get caught up in their reaction before you get caught up in the fact that they heard. And the only reason they heard is because people talked about it. Does that make sense? So we talk about our huddle a lot at Flipside. Those 8 to 12 people we have in our life that we have influence with, relationship with. Some of them are Christ followers who have their own stories about Jesus. There's nothing better when a couple Christ followers get together talking about what God has done and we celebrate, he gets glorified, we get edified. There's also incredible wonder and strength and beautiful that they have when Christians with their huddle who don't know Jesus talk about what God has done. Right? Um, now, when they heard... Some happened. Now, I don't want to over-romanticize or sell it because um, something happened in them, but it wasn't conversion. <laughs> so <laughs> when they heard, uh, you know, their hearts melted and they no longer had courage to face the Israelites. It doesn't say they were converted. Now, when Jonah went to Nineveh, and told the people of Nineveh what God was about to do. They heard and were scared and repented. When Rahab heard these very things about the crossing of the Red Sea, her heart melted and she was converted. So just because something happened doesn't mean that it will be a conversion, but it will be an awe and a fear of God. Now, um, fear doesn't necessarily lead to conversion. But it does lead to an awareness. 
And oftentimes it's the awareness that God eventually uses if there's going to be a conversion. They've got to be aware of it first. So, right off the bat, a little bit of instruction. You know, when God does something, it's a good thing to talk about it. To everybody around, everybody in our huddle. Here's, I would almost say, if God has done something in our life, and our huddle, someone in our huddle, we haven't told some, someone in our huddle about it, we've been derelict in our responsibility, myself included. Is that fair enough to say? Yes, Mark. Okay, I'm going to make a statement. Everybody in this room is going to think I'm really stupid. <laughs> okay, so you know me. <laughs> we don't think I you're think stupid. there are times, Carl, uh-huh. when we not only don't talk about it, but there's times when God steps in and does something, and I think, you know what? Two months ago, that happened to me, mm-hmm. and that was not an accident. Mm-hmm. And not only am I not talking about it, I'm missing a lot of what he does already. Yeah. Yeah, Mark, I don't think anybody thinks you're stupid because of that. I think all of us have those moments where looking, like faith is, God's hand is easy to see in the rearview mirror. It's hard to see fast forward. You know, it's easy to look back and say, hey, God was in this and in that. That's, that, that's pretty common. I don't think that's a sign necessarily of ignorance or immaturity. I just think it's a sign of it's easy to see that way. Um, but to that point, you know, we talked last week about how with the, uh, the drying up of the Jordan River, how that actually happened in 1927 at the place called Adam, where, where it's listed in the Bible is happening. It's an actual event that happened by a landslide. We talked about how there's archaeological evidence that it could have been an earthquake that caused the walls of Jericho to fall down. All that stuff might be in play. But the thing that amazes me is that the people back then attributed all those things right from the start to acts of God, not coincidence. And so, Mark, to that point, part of our job is to retrain our thinking to have a biblical worldview. Because right now, we don't normally naturally have a biblical worldview. And a biblical worldview says that God is sovereign, not even the dice is cast that's not under his control, So because of the sovereignty of God, I'm going to view the world and its happenings through the orchestration of God's plan. And the biblical worldview says that if it's through the orchestration of God's plan, then the biblical worldview also tells me what Romans 8.28 says, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, called according to his purpose. And when I have that in my mind as as my biblical worldview, I see things differently. So it's easier to see and fast forward. It's not fail-proof because we're still human. But when I train myself to think that way, then I can start seeing things in real time a little bit, possibly, as God's activity. Does that make sense? Yes, thank you. Yeah. But, but I'm with you, Mark. It's a lot easier to look back and say, wow, God, I didn't even see it. Like, God, was a, that was amazing. I get it. That's, yeah, that... that. But so so but but even Mark, even if we realized two months ago, wow, God did something, that's still a story worth telling. And it's even sometimes even more power to say, you know what? I was so blind by this the scenario, I didn't even realize God was at work. But his faithfulness is so good that he's still at work even when I don't recognize him. That's a pretty powerful testimony. Can we go to verse two? Huh? 
Maybe not. That first word. Maybe not. At that time? No, we're above it. <laughs> Israelites? <laughs> Check and I have the same Bible. At that time, the Lord at that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives, flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Um <laughs> We don't want to know what the translation of that hill yes, is, we do, do we? It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, not hilarious to me. <laughs> Who would name a hill of foreskin? That's such a terrible. Who would like that to be your hometown? No. Yeah. Uh, anyway, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, "Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again." Let me. So. This was the this was the Bronze Age. There's no reason why they would have to use flint knives. One of the Jewish commentators I read said that 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 there there's something powerful in ceremony when you use things of yesteryear to commemorate ceremony in the present. So he said, like they're going way back, hundreds of years. Uh, to use in flint knives as a, as a, as a commemoration of this event. Um, and circumcise the Israelites again. How do you get circumcised twice? <laughs> yeah, we need to understand what, what we're reading here. It's not a second time of the same person. It's but again, as it had been done in previous generations. Because we're a generation of people not being circumcised. Now, there were some young ones who were come up that didn't die in the wilderness because it was only the people of military age that, you know, that died off in the, in the wilderness. Um, so there were probably some there that were now older who had been circumcised as, as, as the law commanded way back in the day. But he's saying, do this again as you had done because you got a generation where you didn't. So that, that's what it's saying there. So made flint knives and circumcised Israelites. Um, Verse 4, now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the desert on the way, on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt had not. So that's the whole thing. The, why what? Oh, we'll talk about it in a minute. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the Israelites had moved about in the desert 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So, um, they had disobeyed in the wilderness. That's what it says right here. Uh, they died because they had not obeyed the Lord. What do you think they're talking about? What is the occasion of that disobedience? Worshiping false gods. Nope. Not going into the promised Not land. going to the promised land. The 12 spies go out. God says, I've given you this land. They got, remember we talked about why even have spies? They should have just been explorers like this is going to be great. But they asked their opinion if they should do it or not. At least the guys came back and gave their opinion, whether it was asked for or not. Some people do that. <laughs> An unsolicited opinion is probably not one you you, 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 you you need to hear. 
So they come back and, and, and it causes this great consternation of the people and they don't go in. Well, should they have gone in? Yes. Yeah, 40 years earlier. So they disobeyed, right? Here's why they weren't circumcised, I believe. Disobedience in the desert caused, a ne caused the neglect of the covenant. Disobedience always gives birth to more disobedience. And so they disobeyed in the desert, the command to go in, which caused them to live in perpetual disobedience to the covenant God had given them before he ever gave told said, here's the promised land. So why? I don't think it was because they couldn't. I think according to scripture, they were just completely disobedient. Not just to the command, but to the covenant. Not just to the command to go in, but the covenant of how you express your relationship with, with the God of, of his people, which is circumcision. So they just continued to live in, in disobedience. And Moses didn't say anything or do anything about it. Moses knew certainly. Well, there were, there were some who were circumcised in the desert, but not those of military, like not after, not after that. Yeah, and, and, but, but Moses didn't get to go in the promised land. He died on Mount Nebo because of his own disobedience. Mm -hmm. Disobedience breeds disobedience. Sin breeds sin. And that's why you cut it out. So, um, so, so watch this. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised along the way. Um, this is the fulfillment uh, of Numbers 14.31. Numbers 14.31. I'll read that. Numbers 14.31. As for your children that you said would be taken plunder, I will bring them into, in to enjoy the land you have rejected. So way back in the day before they all died off, God said, look, you're worried about your kids' safety. They're mine. You were worried that your children will be taken captive. I got them. Let me take care of my kids. You obey me. And because you won't obey me, I will take care of your kids. And he brought their kids in the promised land right there. See, God, God is always faithful to, he's always faithful, but he always blesses obedience. <clears throat> I'm not saying he doesn't bless us if we're disobedient because of mercy and grace, but he always blesses obedience. And if the fathers won't be obedient, but the, but the children will, he will bless the children. Verse 8, and after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in the camp until they were healed. That's nice of them. <laughs> um, so they're in enemy territory. Right? It would have made sense. We're going to immobilize our men for a while. Let's do it on the other side of the Jordan before we have to face the Canaanites, right? They wait till they cross the Jordan. They sent the other couple tribes ahead just because of military. Like, you, you got to get us in. They, they know opposition's coming. And you wait till you're across to do the circumcision when you know the guys are going to be flat out for a while. Why? 
said so? Was it, but did God give him that? Well, we already that? said that God said to circumcise his way back in the, in, in, yeah, in, but, in the law. This so this time, did it, did they, was it after they crossed the river that God asked them or told them to do this? Yeah, yeah. So that they didn't know it was going to happen until they crossed the river. Well, they should have known because they were living in disobedience and they ought to know what obedience is. Like strategically... Just another evidence of God's provision of taking care of them when they were at the weakest. Put them in a state where they can't take care of themselves? Mm-hmm. In the enemy territory. Yeah, it's, it's not a good strategic move militarily. <laughs> you know, let's, let's wait till we get into Afghanistan with the Taliban until we start training. Like, you, you want to be prepared going in. Um, yeah, on a spiritual level, I think, yeah, absolutely. God wants to say, look, if you're all going to get this done, you're going to have to rely on me. And I'm going to make sure that you have nothing to bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if God still does that to us sometimes. When he puts us in a position where we're completely incapacitated. And we say, well, God, I guess if it's going to be, it's got to be up to you because it's not up to me. Right? Yeah. Well, we have to rely on him. Um, but here's the other thing I think that is going to, I think we could draw, I think this is one of those things preachers do. So they, 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 they had to be circumcised themselves, right? Um, but they were going to face an army and in facing these other armies, the, the, the main weapon that they would use in this day was what? The sword. Sword. So just follow me for a minute. So they had to use a knife before they could use a sword. They had to use a knife before they could. They had to use a blade on themselves before they could take a blade to, the, to anybody else, right? Okay. What's the word of God called in Scripture one, amongst many things? Sword of the Spirit. Right? Sword of the Spirit. When Paul talks about take up the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians... He's talking about, not the sword, he's talking about a little 12-inch knife. Any military guys, if you know what a, what a Marine carried, the K-bar, it was about that size. And it was used for real close, personal use. And, and, and so, if we, if, we, if we draw this out spiritually, and want to act like a preacher, we could make the point that we turn the sword on ourselves first, before we level it against anybody else. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like we're the ones who have to be cut by it first. <clears throat> before we cut anybody else with it. Or by it. And see, Christian, like church people, I'm going to say Christian. Church people are really, really good at using their blade against everybody else. Before they ever let it cut cut away at themselves, right? And and so I I, th- I think we could I think you could preach this I th- I think I think you could you could apply this. Look, there might be a lot of wrong out there, and there might be a lot of wrong with people in my life, and I would love to take this and make them right. But the first thing this has to do. Is cut this, cut me first. 
Like there's stuff in my life that God needs to cut out and cut off before I ever take that sword to anybody else. Does that make sense? So the next time that we're tempted to take this word of God and say, I'm going to tell, I'm going to just stop for a moment and think, huh, I wonder if there's something in me that first the word needs to cut off and cut out. And if there is, do that first and realize there's going to be a space of time, probably a few days, you just need to sit and heal from what God has done before you go take it to somebody else. And usually, (laughs) once we let this sword cut us and give ourselves half a week to heal, there's usually a lot more understanding, wisdom, mercy, and grace toward those we'd like to cut up. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And we just thought chapter 5 was all about circumcision. (laughs) Have you ever said, I really like studying the Bible because there's a lot in this thing? Yeesh. All right, where are we? Verse 9. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so the place has been called Gilgal to this day. Um, what he, The reproach of Egypt. He's talking about the, the, the shame, the degradation, the peril, the death that was involved by being slaves in Egypt. And he says, Today, finally, that is, that, that, that's erased from you. I've rolled it away. It's gone now. You no longer live under the reproach of being slaves like you were in Egypt. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. Um, The evening of the 14th day of the month. Does anybody know why that's significant? You go back to last Christmas series when we studied the seven feasts, celebrations. One of them was the Passover. The Passover, Exodus 12, 2, 6, and 18, was commanded that very first time to be celebrated as the renewal of the people of God on the 14th day of the first month. The exact same time they celebrate it here. On the 14th day of the first month. This was when it was commanded to be celebrated. They just happened to cross over the Jordan. They just happened to do the circumcision. They just happened to rest. It just happened to land on the 14th day of the first month. The, 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 the original Passover was the renewal of the identity of the people of God. This one... It was celebrated on the, on, 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 on the day they left Egypt. This one was celebrated as the renewal of it again. Like first was the establishment of God's people. This was the, the renewal of, the, of being God's people. And there will be another Passover that will be celebrated quite a few years later by a Messiah and his disciples that was on this exact very day. 
the 14th day of the first month. Mm-hmm. And so God has orchestrated all of this to communicate. Listen, it's through the blood that was shed that I initiate, commemorate, and renew my people. It was commanded that way. It was renewed that way. And it was celebrated that way by Christ himself. On the evening of the 14th day of the first month. The more I look at scripture, the more I realize this biblical worldview. That God's hand was in every and is in every little tiny detail. The ancient rabbis have a saying And it says, basically, when Messiah comes, he will interpret the words, the letters, and the spaces between the letters. And it will all reveal him. There's such a profound mystery and respect for the Holy Scripture, that not only the verses, not only the paragraphs, not only the words, but the spaces between the words all communicate Christ. Like he's in all and about all. And so this biblical worldview is one that says, I see Christ in everything. Even in the orchestration of the days they cross, to work out to be the days that they celebrate the Passover as was commanded in Scripture as Christ did himself. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. Of course it was unleavened bread. They didn't have any leaven. Because <laughs> what had they been eating all through the desert? The manna stopped, verse 12, the day after they ate this food from the land, there was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate of the produce of Canaan. Do you remember why this was so significant? The crossing of the Jordan at the harvest time? Because from the moment they compl- that, that God fed them manna and quail, all those years, God continued, that's all they ate. They get to the Jordan and it's flood stage, right? Because why? Because it's harvest time. What's harvest mean? Food. So he feeds them manna this whole time. They show up at the Jordan. We talked about this a couple weeks back. The Jordan at flood stage. They're thinking, why the freak are we here at flood stage? Why couldn't we have done this when it was low and easy to cross? What is God doing? Does he not know? Why would he bring us to a flood? Just so he can show off? Fine. We'll step in the river. You step in the river, stop flowing at 12 miles upstream, maybe because of an earthquake and a landslide, but they attribute it to God. They all cross over. And they're like, whew, glad we made it over the Jordan. It's not like the Jordan, was. You know, they got there by a mistake at that time. And the only reason they had to get there at flood stage is because it was harvest. Why? Because God knew the moment they crossed, the manna was going to stop. And had he taken them to the Jordan at any other time than the flood stage at harvest, there would have been no harvest for them to walk into on the other side of the Jordan. So what looked like a, 
a, a difficulty, a mistake, bad timing, was the setup for provision. Right? But they didn't see it walking up to the door like we don't see it. All we see is, oh no, this is terrible. How could this happen right now? Why does God allow this? And God says, you don't realize I'm setting up a harvest for you. If I don't do this now, you never get the promised harvest that's coming. Right? So who planted the harvest? All the people in the land. So did they go in and conquer the people? Absolutely. The so, so, so they had already done some fighting. Well, I don't know that they conquered all the people right then, but no, they were like it was harvest time around. I mean, there was like the, the trees were still growing. The stuff was still growing apart from the, the civilization. Yeah, so, so I, yeah, I'm just saying, like, look, God knows what he's doing, and he might walk us through a flood, not just so he can show off, and not just to give us a new experience of him, because we don't need a new experience, we just need a memory, like we talked about on Sunday, but, but sometimes he takes us to those flooded, difficult rivers that are overflowing its banks, because he's already setting something up on the other side of it, and we may not freak out the river, because we could be walking into provision. That makes sense? Mm-hmm. Well, they must have been going crazy over the food. I mean, if you Can you were, imagine after a, a generation of manna and dry quail? That same thing. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> wow. That's yeah. Eggs and yeah. That's now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? There's no indication right now that he has any inkling that this is an angelic being. There's no indication. He just sees someone standing there with a sword. And so they're in enemy territory. He sees sees someone there with a sword. Obviously, you're going to ask, right? Are you an advanced party that's come to, like, whose side are you on here? Are you for us or for our enemies? Um, Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? Um, it's interesting to me that these were people who were following God, who were experiencing God's miracle, who were seeing God's hand at work actively in their lives, who were worshiping, celebrating the Passover, doing everything right, and still this being isn't for them. Because don't we want to believe that if we're doing everything right, God's on our side? Right? And he says, I'm not, I'm not on your side. I'm not on the enemy's side either. You people, you're not that important. I'm like, I'm not on your side. I'm here. 
as the commander of the army of the Lord. I'm on the Lord's side. Now, some people will say that this is a, this is a pre-incarnate uh, uh, appearance of Christ. Um, some will say he's just an angel. There's nothing in the text that would say this or that. The fact that uh, Joshua calls him Lord is the, is the word Adonai, which is used of God, and it's also used of human masters. The fact that he fell face down um, is used, obviously, when people come into the presence of God. It's also used when people come in the, pro- in, in, in the presence of a higher-ranking official. And so according to the text, the text doesn't tell us it is this or it is that. It very well could be a pre-incarnate appearance of, the, of, of Christ of the Trinity. It could be an angel of the army of the Lord. The, the fact is, this man says he's the commander of the army of Yahweh. But Joshua doesn't refer to him as that. He just says, master. Regardless, the lesson, I think, one of them to be learned in this is that we better make darn sure we're on God's side because God is not going to be on our side. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, like we need to make sure. God is unchanging. He doesn't shift with shadows and, and he, he, he doesn't play favorites. So we got to be very careful to say God is on my side because apparently God's on nobody. God's on God's side. Now, God will be for me when I'm on God's side, but God's not on my side. God's on God's side. Because the Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Mm-hmm. It doesn't say that God's always for us. It just says, if he is, nobody can stand against you. So we need to make very sure that we're on God's side. Because if, God, uh, if we're on God's side, then obviously God's on our side. But it's not because God's on our side, it's because we're on God's side. Does that make sense? But if we go into something thinking, I'm the right one, God's on my side. God said, no, 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 you're not the right one. I'm the right one, so get off your side, get on my side. And if you're on my side, then I'm on your side because you're actually on my side. (laughs) Clear as mud? (laughs) But it's interesting, and I'm going to push a little bit of buttons, especially for older people. I grew up believing that God was on America's side. (laughs) We're America. Right? Mm-hmm. Every war we've gone into, we have done so requesting God's hand on our side. Right? Mm-hmm. Everything that we have done in a, as a country has been because God's hand is for us. Right? When I read the Bible, I see God on God's side. Now, if we're on God's side, he's on our side because we're on his side. But by virtue of who we are, he's on nobody's side. That makes sense? Yeah. 
And so this takes our arrogance down a bit. And tells me I need to make sure that I'm dying to myself and I'm on God's side. So where we start with this chapter is I'm going to make sure that I've taken the sword to me first. I'm going to let God cut away whatever God needs to cut away. And I'm going, to let, I'm, I'm going to heal in that experience for a while before I ever take that sword to anybody else. And after I've taken that sword to me before anybody else, I'm going to make sure that I have readjusted my position and put myself on God's side. Right? And then once I'm on God's side, I'm simply going to stand in his place of reverence and awe and be obedient to what he says. Because I'm on his side. Verse 15, the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So after I've let the sword cut away from me, whatever needs to be cut away, after I have reduced myself and died to my own self-interest, self-agenda, self-strength, placed positionally myself on God's side, relinquished my side, stand in that place of awe and reference, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground now. Realize the position you're in. Then I can be obedient. In chapter 4, Joshua is set up as the hero of the nation. God turned their hearts to honor him and elevate him. In chapter 5, he is the one who has now been humbled. And God says, it's almost like God says, look, look, I will, but I'm going to make sure you know. Right? I'm going to make sure you know your position. Other people might say you're up. I'm going to make sure you know. And one of the things that Joshua was able to do throughout his life was maintain this real submissive, humble spirit to the word of the Lord. We saw in the the last study how often the the Bible says, God said, Joshua repeated, they obeyed. He was just so humbly receptive to the instruction direction of the Lord. Himself first, before anybody else. The other thing that's interesting is we've seen this before, haven't we? When the voice of God says, take off your sandals for a place your sandals holy ground. Mm-hmm. Where do we see that before? Mm-hmm. The burning bush. Mm-hmm. There's all these correlations back and forth. One, for our sake, to see that this is the same God. But also for Joshua's sake to see, okay, your hand's on me like it was on Moses. We're going to be all right. That's chapter 5. Questions, comments, cries of outrage? Don't you think, I mean, Joshua, to hear that guy say what, he, what Joshua knew he had said to Moses, I mean... What do you mean, unfollow that? Well, that, that uh, take off your sandals, you're standing on holy ground. Right. 
and I'm sure Moses had told Oh, told Joshua that story? Oh, everybody. Oh, absolutely, and yeah. So when he hears, yeah, when he hears like, when he hears that same word that, oh, you, you, you did that to Moses. Yeah, that's awesome, Charlotte. Whoa. Yeah, 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 that's amazing. Yeah. All right, we good? Yeah. Got something to think about? All right, so next week is chapter 6, and uh, we'll talk about Jericho. That'll set up chapter 7. Um, those two are fun chapters. So anyway, with that, we'll, uh, we'll pray.